And this is the point in the interview with the cast and the director of Aspire Community Theater's new production of Spamalot that we ran into technical difficulties. So I introduced Tracy Benson, the director, Thomas Gandy, who's playing King Arthur, Emma Hoyt, who's playing Lady of the Lake, James Wigdahl, who's playing Patsy, as well as the mayor and the guard, and Scott Michelson, who's the show's music director and was accompanying Emma on that rendition of Whatever Happened to My Part, live from the Spokane Public Radio performance space. And before we got into talking about the show itself, I asked Tracy Benson about her background in the Coeur d'Alene theater scene. Thanks for asking. Thanks for having us, by the way. So, yeah, this is my first time with Aspire, which I cannot say enough good things about this theater and the amazing theater that they bring to the Coeur d'Alene community and greater greater area into Spokane, etc., and the great culture that they have um, that really extends from their theater company into the audiences that attend. Uh, my background is, uh, well, I've got a, when I, I, I grew up in Coeur d'Alene and did some theater there as an actress, um, pretty early on fell in love with directing and attended University of Idaho, uh, ended up with a Master of Fine Arts in Directing and uh, returned to this area, returned to the Coeur d'Alene area because it's just so darn beautiful. Uh, couldn't really uh, get away from it for too long. But I have worked with the Lake City Playhouse. Um, uh, once upon a time, I was there executive artistic director there. I worked for Coeur d'Alene Summer Theater. Um, I started a drama program at the Coeur d'Alene Charter Academy. And now I'm just kind of doing side gigs when I can um, 
and raising my son and uh, enjoying the time that I have with theater. And you got involved with this because you have a deep-seated antipathy to, uh, to Monty Python, right? <laughs> yes, yes, um, yes, absolutely. Cannot stand that humor. Makes no sense to me. Um, prefer the broad slapstick. No, it's, it's wonderful. I love that dry humor. Um, something that the cast members, the, the, the older generation cast members and I have always talked about is that we grew up on this stuff as teenagers and um, seeing it via film, seeing it um, VHS tape back then, um, seeing that and, and, and having such a wonderful time with it and being able to, in our later years, enjoy that on a different level by being able to interact with it in this way is just, it's just a gift. It's a gift to be able to do this iconic material. Yeah, and I'd, I'd like to talk about your love of Monty Python and how maybe that's informing your approach to the production as a whole. But Thomas, I'm going to move on to you because you're also a Monty Python fan and you come to this kind of steeped in the movies. Yes. Um, so my grandfather, was his parents were from England, they were British, and he had a very British sense of humor. So I grew up watching him. Uh, I think I, I, my first exposure to John Cleese was Faulty Towers, actually, watching it with my grandfather. And then I discovered Monty Python as a teenager, and you felt like you had joined this exclusive club for people with a bizarre <laughs> sense of humor. And uh, so I, I remember with one of my closest friends, he moved here from South America, and I said, you have to see this movie. And so we watched Holy Grail together, and it was just so ridiculous and stupid and amazing. And uh, then when Spamalot became a Broadway musical, I said to myself, if ever I get the chance to do that show, I shall do it. And here we are. <laughs> yeah, and it's crazy because it's. I think it's running on Broadway right now. And it it's, is. Th is this its right. 20th anniversary year, or is that next year? Mm, 2005. Okay, so next year. Next year. Okay, so yeah, next year is the historic milestone. Mm -hmm. But still, it's a, it feels so fresh despite being 20 years old. It's still, I don't know if that's the impression that you get as, the, as a director, Tracy, or that you get Thomas playing King Arthur, but does it still feel quite relevant, even though, Emma, you're, one of your lyrics referred to Britney Spears, who's not quite so much in the headlines <laughs> these days. We'll throw back. Yeah, it does. It still feels fresh, for sure. And there are a few pop culture things thrown in from 2005 that, you know, maybe we you know could update those or something. But um, but other than, yeah, it feels really, really fresh. And one thing, I think probably we could celebrate the 19 and a half anniversary of Spamalot <laughs> because they just celebrated for Holy Grail the 48 and a half anniversary of it last December. So I think that's probably appropriate to, to celebrate right. 19 and a half. <laughs> And for folks who maybe don't have the encyclopedic knowledge of, of Monty Python and just the sketch show as well as the movies. Now, Thomas, introduce us to King Arthur in this production. Well, uh, King Arthur is a man on a mission, and he is a semi-sane man in a very insane world. Um, I think he, he tries to be grounded as much as he can, but finds himself sucked into shenanigans. Uh, regularly, and he's surrounded by a cast of characters that he's trying to keep on task while, uh, you know, maintaining this level of silliness throughout. And uh, you do join in on occasion, so you're not entirely the straight man in right, this. Right, right. And that's why I say semi-sane, because, you know, Arthur constantly gets gets dragged into things, uh, sometimes kicking and screaming, but ultimately he, he enjoys himself. You'll see, for those of you who are fans of the movie, that, you know, Knights of the Round Table... 
that song and, and Camelot being a very silly place in the in the film, Arthur says, no, it's too silly. But in the show, he embraces the singing and the dancing and he loves that part of Camelot. Yeah. Oh, sorry. sorry, I was just going to say, I think that's unique about Spamalot or how it adds another level from the film is that in the film, you see Graham Chapman playing it absolutely dry, absolutely serious. And there's some of that certainly that's needed for that straight man quality. But because it is a Broadway musical, it knows it's a Broadway musical. It points out to us a hundred million times that it's a Broadway <laughs> musical. He gets to... Um, you know, Thomas gets to play with being more of a performance type of character and being able to play with the silliness a little bit more than than the film did. Right. Yeah. And I don't want to ignore your character, Patsy James. But since we're on this subject, I figured we could move to Emma, who just introduced us to this song, which is very knowing and which is quite meta, <laughs> which is whatever happened to my part. And we were joking just ahead of this interview that this was provided without context. So here you come on to the radio and people who tune in are just hearing you sing whatever happened to my part. Now, where does this factor into the musical and how does this tie into your character of Lady of the Lake who is totally new to the Monty mm. Python universe? Really? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, we say like she's not just breaking the fourth wall, she's breaking the fifth wall because she's <laughs> aware of like the show and that she hasn't been on stage in a long time. Um, act two starts, there's a couple numbers, and she's really upset about the fact that she hasn't been in it. And it's just so random and out of pocket in the show. She, um, I just, like, walk on and no lines. I just start singing it, kind of like how we did here. But um, it's really funny. Just, like, it's so ridiculous. Like, away from the plot, she just kind of starts singing in her own reality as like an actor and like a diva and stuff. She says she's going to call her agent and all this stuff. It's really, really funny. And so does the Lady of the Lake simply have a diva role in this or does she have a role that's key to the to the whole narrative arc? Yeah, she does a little bit. The diva does kind of play into the narrative, I feel like, because there's this objective to put on a Broadway show right. and she's like, this is the Broadway show. <laughs> she's a star, super um, flashy it's really fun, she's yeah. She's very much a guiding force for yes, Arthur whenever for sure. he's lost, you know. Uh -huh. And she um, shapes the narrative completely. Right, completely. She, uh -huh. It's all based on what she wants to see happen, <laughs> essentially. She's a, a pretty significant role, considering that she's just barely mentioned in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I was thinking about this because the Lady of the Lake really is key to the transition between film and stage musicals. Yes. She's kind of what allowed this whole production to make that leap. Mm -hmm. So is there added pressure for you? Or does she just work into the narrative? <laughs> she does. I feel like she falls very, very nicely. She, like, brings the Broadway, you know. She brings, like, the show, you know, for it. Um, lots of fun singing and musical numbers that are just ridiculously Broadway. And it, it really, really brings the show together. Yeah. She's yeah. definitely, a, like, a, she's definitely the character who is most aware of her part in the musical. Yeah, for sure. And then James with Patsy. Now, Patsy factors into this because as in the Monty Python and the Holy Grail movie, he is Arthur's faithful companion. But he's um, a little more pronounced in this musical, isn't he? For sure. For sure. Yeah. It's it's a funny little role in the movie that, uh, you know, he's always there. He's loyal. He does his thing. But you don't hear much from him. And then in the show, yeah, it's it's there's a, a song I get to do and 
that uh, my Monty Python fans will recognize from from other places. But and, uh, and what song is that? Uh, that song would be "Always Look on the Bright Side of Life," which is probably one of Monty Python's most iconic songs. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So uh, yeah, it's it's a blast to you know have some extra liberty with it and and take it different places. I feel like Patsy has, it, especially in this show. Is very much Arthur's conscience. You know, he's he's the Jiminy Cricket to Arthur's Pinocchio. <laughs> he's he's a stabilizing force for him whenever he's you know even in Brightside he is there to cheer King Arthur up despite you know being the long suffering servant who's the 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 subject of Arthur's scorn or ridicule or you know ignoring him or taking him for granted or all those things. Patsy's always there. He's always loyal. You know, there's a there's a Sancho Quixote like there's 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 so much of that in there that isn't in the film that you know all stems from just Terry Gilliam banging coconuts together for an hour and a half (laughs) (laughs) do the coconut shells still make an appearance in this oh absolutely multiple times (laughs) and you know again on the subject of Monty Python fandom you know people might hear bright side of life and say well wait a minute that actually comes from life of Brian right Right. so does this pull from the entire Monty Python canon well what's really cool about it is not that big of a stretch for there to be a musical of Monty Python because Eric Idle has all this stuff I mean Mm. they have some iconic songs from their films and from their television show. And then he's just like pulling things from wherever that he's included um, in here. And it, so it's really not that much of a stretch for it to be a musical because there's so much music in Eric Idle's work already. The opening number yeah, the opening is number. an obscure <laughs> track from their second album, which was contractually obligated. And so they wrote it like, OK, fine, we'll show you. We'll write a silly little song. And then now it's the opening number of Spamalot. The name Spamalot is chosen because the Spam sketch is a very famous sketch. I mean, there are so many Easter eggs for Python fans. Oh, yeah. And then there's so many Easter eggs for Broadway fans. Mm-hmm. They're just it's really everything. And I'd like to tease out kind of two separate strands. And so one is the the sort of acting element. And you're going to be performing for an audience, some of which, some of whom might be familiar with Monty Python, and some of whom will be uh, very familiar and diehard fans of Monty Python. Are you kind of conscious of this? And even you know, Thomas and, and um, you know, as a Monty Python fan yourself, mm-hmm. are you maybe aware of having to deliver a certain style that people are expecting? Yeah, that was something I talked to Tracy about and Tracy as a director was was very uh, forthcoming when we discussed there's a level there's a balance that we had to strike between giving people who are python fans they are coming to wanting to see the holy grail in some aspects but there's also this whole other broadway musical part of it that's new and fresh and fun and so we've got to add our own stuff and 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 be unique and so you know for me I I'm looking at Graham Chapman on film and Tim Curry on Broadway, and those are two incredibly big crowns to fill. (laughs) And so I I just worked with Tracy to try and find our version of Arthur that still, you know, pays homage to to Graham Chapman and, and, you know, Tim Curry's versions. And James and Emma, I'll put the same question to you. Do you have this same awareness of having to adhere to a certain, a certain expectations of what we want from Monty Python, any Monty Python production? Yeah, as someone coming into who's new to the Monty Python universe <laughs> and world, it's all like all the references, all of the little bits that Monty Python fans will recognize are still so funny. 
to like people who haven't seen it before. I'm like, oh, that's so funny. Oh, it's Monty Python. So it's like, um, I think, yeah, there there is that pressure, but like it kind of like gives itself like it's not that hard to make really good because it is really good and really funny. Yes, definitely. Having been a Pythonista since my teens, <laughs> um, I I probably overstepped my bounds on on multiple occasions, uh, feeding some very important Pythonisms to some of the other cast members. I said, no, no, this this needs to be this way. Yes, uh, to to be uh, you know to honor what it is we're putting on. I, yeah, there have been numerous times where James and I have looked at each other and gone. That's not how that goes. (laughs) (laughs) But that's, I mean, really, when you do a production, you you would never want to just imitate exactly. It's like that's not fair to the performers. That's not fair to the audience. It's its own unique experience every time you do it. Are we honoring the original? Absolutely. Are we making sure that we bring a strong flavor of it? Absolutely. But each actor is an individual and they're going to bring their own gifts to it and their own insights to the characters. And this production's unique in and of itself. So it's going to be different. And that's okay. Yeah, because there's an, a pacing and a tone that we expect from the actors or from the acting. But there's also a pacing and a tone that we expect from the, uh, from the production team. And with the filmed versions, that allows us, and one of the things that comes to mind is Knights of the Round Table, right. where you have this, this zany scene that is bookended on either side by Graham Chapman's very dry response to it. Yes. And, you know, he turns away and says, no, no, we, we won't be going there. You know, I, <laughs> it's I, a silly place. Yeah, it's, it's a silly, a silly place. place. I don't want to go there. <laughs> and, you know, it's difficult to get those tone changes in a musical production and get those really stop-start things because it relies so much on, on film editing and that sort of thing. But your production team, uh, Wendy Inman and Greg Washington, they've done what they can to... Um, really create those rapid fire scene changes, no? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Yeah, that's that is an element that we have to take into consideration. There's certain things that you can do on film, like cut off someone's arms and legs that you can't <laughs> do on on stage that you have to figure out unique ways to do that. And with our customers, uh, Natalie Mangus as well, working on those those kinds of oh, yeah. um, those kinds mm-hmm. of techniques or things that uh, are smoke and mirrors on stage. Um, it's been fun. And yeah, it is. It's gonna be it's gonna be different. It's a different level for sure. Catapulting a cow. <laughs> yeah, you've got yeah, you've got catapulting cows. You've got killer rabbits killer that you rabbits. have to introduce into this. Holy hand grenades, <laughs> and and all of those do make an appearance, yep. and they yep. found some yes. creative ways to incorporate those. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's it's a theatrical is it's is theatrically film correct as you can be in theater on stage live. For sure. Um, you know, it, it's just been a, it's just been a blast. And I, I, we've even found J- James and, and I and Tracy, we've found ways to try and put even more little Python things in there that we've just gone, Oh, wouldn't it be fun. It, it, and we, we don't think Eric Idle would be mad if we added this or did this or, you know, and, and so it's just been, it's just been fun exploring all those little beats and those, kind of the, the, the flavorings of Python. And in making that leap uh, that we were talking about from screen to stage, um, it had to take on certain qualities and it has become very knowingly a musical. And so it has this, um, this quest 
that uh, maybe changes what Arthur is about, and that's uh, and the Lady of the Lake is also integral to this. But this quest of finding your Grail, right? And it becomes this <laughs> this aspirational and affirmational message. Yeah. Could you talk about that? Uh, sure. I mean. The Holy Grail, I say it in the show, it's a symbol, right? But it really does become <laughs> a symbol, action. an actual, you know, uh, you, you find that the Grail isn't just an object. It's it's something that you have to figure out. You know, it's that one thing they say that, you know, figure out what the one thing is. Well, what is it? Well, it's different for everybody. Mm -hmm. And so that, that becomes that journey for Arthur, who then, I guess, through him learning that finding it within himself is also ca other cast members, other characters, and then the audience finding out what it is for them. Mm -hmm. It's funny, they find like the physical grail. Right. But then there's a lot of like, each character has their own special thing that they announce in the finale. Like, this was my grail that I found. Like for Lady of the Lake, it was Arthur. Like that was her grail and stuff. So it's like, there's a physical grail and then there's the, the grail emotional. within, the symbol <laughs> right. emotional deep grail. But um, <laughs> we sing like this, beautiful anthem about yes, it like right. it's so anyways because it's like silly but it's also like oh yes yeah that, it, that's the other thing is even like even in the silliness there are heartfelt moments yeah. and even in the heartfelt moments there's silliness it's it's a mm -hmm. it's, just it's this, a good balance yeah mm -hmm. yeah very much so well normally i would say hey you're going to sing us a song and tell us about it but i don't think the song that you're going to close us out with needs any introduction <laughs> so thomas and james i'll let you sneak sure. out to the performance space and tracy i want to talk to you about the rating on this production because i noticed that it says that it's pg-13 so there's some things even though it's monty python it is a bit zany there are some things that are probably best for teenage and above audiences no yeah, you know, and I don't think that should come as any surprise to anyone f familiar with Monty Python. It's just, you know, to make sure that people are aware, parents are aware, families are aware that it's not necessarily something you'd bring small children to. Um, there's nothing that was is really too horribly crazy, but just that, we, you know, there's a little bit of language, there's a little bit of innuendo, that sort of thing that we just want to make sure that audiences are aware that it's there, so... And also, before we get into this song, which most listeners will recognize, I did want to talk, too, about the musical variety that's available in this show, because it's very much a, a knowing pastiche of a lot of Broadway productions and a lot of Broadway styles, and um, the music spans the gamut as well. And so, Emma, I don't know if you wanted to speak sure. to this. Yeah, no, yeah, Lady of the Lake alone just does a variety of different... Um, singing styles and like musical theater like eras and also like um genres and stuff there's like a tap number that's singing of the rain style there's a jazz scatting solo there's um like pop ballads there's <laughs> stuff that's more probably golden age style it really just goes all over the place um there's like can can the can can song like there's a lot of different um genres in there and it's been a lot of fun getting to do all of them and portray all of them it's been a blast but yeah it goes all over the place it sure. does there's and, and with uh the choreography as well i mean there's a whole yeah. number in there that's all about um 
looking at some famous choreography from famous songs like West Side Story in Greece and Lots kind of, of throwing eggs. it all in there yeah. and making sure that every <laughs> like Eric Idle is like looking at every little piece of Broadway that he can mm-hmm. throw in there that's well known, um, including like Fiddler on the Roof, etc. Yes. Oh, um, yes. So there's there's lots of moments like that. that it, so if you're a Broadway fan and even maybe not as familiar with Monty Python, it's absolutely so much fun to watch. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. something for everyone. Yeah, for I was sure. going to say yeah. it's, it's not just an homage to the Monty Python body mm-hmm. of work, but also just the whole span of musical theater as well. Yeah. Yes. With with gentle poking fun, because <laughs> yeah. of course, Monty Python's all about satire. So of course, we're yes. satirizing it gently, lovingly. <laughs> well, great. I want to thank you so much for coming in today and talking about this. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I've been speaking this morning with Tracy Benson, Thomas Gandy, Emma Hoyt, and James Wigdahl of Aspire Community Theater's new production of Spamalot. Spamalot opens at this Thursday, and that is February 8th at the Croc Center in Coeur d'Alene, and it runs there until February 18th. You can get tickets and more information at aspirecda.com, or you can call their box office on 208-696-4228. And now, taking us out with Always Look on the Bright Side of Life, we have Thomas Gandy and James Wigdahl, accompanied by Scott Michelson in our performance space. This is so depressing. Cheer up, sire. You know what they say. What do they say, Patsy? Some things in life are bad. They can really make you mad. Other things just make you swear and curse. When you're chewing on life's gristle, don't grumble. Give a whistle. And this'll help things turn out for the best. And always look on the bright side of life. Always look on the right side of life If life seems jolly rotten There's something you've forgotten And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing If you're feeling in the dumps Don't be silly chumps Just purse your lips and whistle, that's the thing And always look on the bright side of life Always look on the right side of life For life is quite absurd And death's the final word You must always face the curtain with a bow Forget about your sin Give the audience a grin Enjoy it, it's your last chance anyhow side of death just before you draw your terminal breath for life's a piece of spit when you look at it life's a laugh and death's a joke it's true you'll see it's on a show keep on laughing as you go just remember that the last laugh is on you absurd and death's the final word you must always face the curtain with a bow uh, excuse me is that a shrubbery you're carrying yes it is i was just thinking
is Spokane Public Radio. The time in the inland northwest is 10.30. And we have some technical <clears throat> problems with that uh, interview with the Spire Community Theater. Um, live radio, that's, it is a thing, absolutely. Let's get back into some instrumental sounds here, and why not pick it up with the saxophone quartet in the music of Alexander Glasanoff. <laughs> 